0: Living with uncertainty can take its toll. The normal day-to-day is replaced with fear, worry, doubt. When our normal is disrupted, our surroundings begin to feel weak, foundations begin to rattle. Our lives become disoriented. As time goes on, we begin to lose sight of the one constant on our journey. Jesus. The fear is consuming, the worry draining, the doubt painful. Even in our darkest moments, when the last thread of hope has unraveled from our being, we must dwell on truth. We must remember, no matter what is happening around us, God is still sovereign. Today, let us dwell on the truth of Easter. The stone has been rolled away. The grave has been rendered powerless. Death has transformed to life. In our fear, He is still risen. In our worry, He is still victorious. In our doubt, He is still alive. When everything seems hopeless, the hope of Easter remains.
1: Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to our Resurrection Sunday service. Um, I don't know about you, but I've been saved for a little bit more than 20 years, and this is the first Sunday that we are actually not gathered together in a building having a super bullish type service. And so it is a little bit different, right? So I think that we need to recognize that, but the beauty of the resurrection can not be ignored. You know, I thought about this, and even though our circumstances are different, even though our demographic right now of where we are is different, where most of us are sitting in our living rooms, and probably, I mean, I'm assuming you didn't get dressed up to hear this sermon today, but we're all in our living rooms, and I'm hoping you engaged in the worship and you were encouraged by the videos and all that has happened prior to this moment. But the reality is this, is that no matter what, even though we're not sitting together in a building and we're not able to lift up our voice. You know what happened over, over 2000 years ago, there was a Jewish carpenter who lived on this earth. He was betrayed by his friend with a kiss. And that same Jewish carpenter was taken by men of the the religious elite of his day. And he was, he was, he was, um, called, um, to account for something that he hadn't done. He hadn't blasphemed God. But not only that, then he was taken unjustly and he was viciously crucified. And not only was he crucified, but he was buried. And then after he was buried, he rose again on the third day. And you know what? Demographic situations and circumstances do not change the reality that Jesus rose again. Jesus rose again. That's what we're celebrating this morning is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is a great God. And you know why that's so important? Let me tell you why that's so important. Because when Jesus rose again, you know what he did? He made his claim to deity. Yeah, that's right. He made his claim to deity at that moment, everything that had been prophesied about him Everything that he had declared about himself at that moment when he rose, guess what? The truth came out that he was God. And like the old timers used to say, he was very God, meaning that he was truly, truly God. We say it all the time. And here's the question. The question is, do we really believe it? Do we really believe this thing? And it is that the resurrection changes everything. Do we believe that? Do we believe that the resurrection changes everything? See, the reason why this sermon becomes so important, this message becomes so important for you this morning is because right now with quarantines going on, right now with the fear of coronavirus, with the fear of financial issues, with the fears that are surrounding our lives, guess what? The truth of the matter is right now we need to ask, do we believe that, that the resurrection really changes everything? I want you to think about this this morning, and it is this, is that the satisfaction that the world needs is only found in the Savior it rejects. Satisfa- the satisfaction that the world needs is only found in the Savior it rejects. See, I want I want to read something to you from one of the modern day theologians. He's one of my heroes of the WWF. And you may not know what the WWF is depending on how old you are, but WWF was way before WWE and Monday Night Raw. And it's a guy by the name of Hulk Hogan. And some of y'all might think Hulk Hogan is crazy, but I was looking at his Instagram and I want to read to you what he wrote. He said this, he said, word up, can you handle the truth, my brother? And you know how Hulk Hogan would say it if you know Hulk Hogan, only love Hulk Hogan. And look what he says in three short months, just like he did with the plagues of Egypt, God has taken away everything we worship. God said, you want to worship athletes? I will shut down stadiums. You want to worship musicians? I will shut down civic centers. You want to worship actors? I will shut down theaters. You want to worship money? I will shut down the economy and collapse the stock market. You don't want to go to church and worship me? I will make it where you can't go to church. Man, that sounds like a timely word for us today from a guy that we would know as a wrestler, someone who you would think that he, you know, does that and he doesn't think about God. But but here's the thing. I love how he closed his message. He said this. He says, maybe we don't need a vaccine. Maybe we need to take this time of isolation from the distractions of the world and have a personal revival where we focus on the only thing that matters. That's Jesus. And so today I want to repeat this to you. The satisfaction that the world needs is only found in the Savior that it rejects. And so now if you have your Bible, I want to ask you to open it to the uh, book of Psalms chapter 63, and we're going to read verses one through eight together. And as you're turning there, I want you to think about this because today as we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I want to speak to you a message entitled satisfied by a Savior, satisfied by a Savior. And the reality that we're facing right now and, and, and that I'm trying to communicate to you is that our satisfaction that we are seeking only comes for, from the Savior. And so Psalm 63, verse 1 through 8, I hope you had time to get it, but here's what it says. This is David, by the way, <clears throat> who is communicating this. And he says this, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked to you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus, I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul. Here's the key. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you so much for the reality of the resurrection. We thank you so much for the truth of the gospel that you came into this world in the form of a man. You humbled yourself, as Paul says, took on flesh and you became obedient to death. And not only death, but death on a cross. But we thank you today because we don't just recognize the death on the cross, we recognize the resurrection from the dead. And so may each and every one of our hearts be fixed on you today, as we recognize that you are the resurrection and you are the life. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And so I wanna give you a little bit of context. The Psalmist David, he is in the middle of a desert. And we're not exactly sure why he was in this desert. It could be that he was in the desert because he was running from Saul. That's one of the opinions that some of the theologians have. He was running from Saul because Saul was trying to kill him. He was going to be the next king of Israel, according to the prophetic words that God gave. And so he was running. He could have been running from Saul and he was in the, in the wilderness. And he was in this moment where he says, and I love these words, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. There was no satisfaction for David in this moment. But there's another option. It could also be that David was in the wilderness when his son Absalom rebelled against him. And when his son Absalom rebelled against him and tried to take the kingdom by force, David also ran. And because he loved his son, he didn't want to kill his son. And so he did that. And so here's the thing. Why why, why do I think that that's a pretty cool thought that we're not exactly sure why he was in the wilderness? It's because of this. It gives us a couple of options as to why he was in the wilderness. It could have been this one or it could have been that one. And for us, it applies. You know why? Because all of us could be in a wilderness for different reasons right now. Every single one of us could be in a wilderness of a different type. We could be going through a sickness. We could be going through the doubts and and waiting for um, results of tests. We could be going through not only tests for the coronavirus, but tests for other things. We could be experiencing so much that is going on in our lives right now, that we feel dry, we feel thirsty. We're going through certain things in our lives. But here's the beauty of this psalm, is that David understood who his God was. David understood that, that, that his God was able to satisfy his soul. And so David knew who to turn to in his thirsty moment. He knew that he was turning to the living God. He was turning to the God of Israel, the one true God. I mean, that's beautiful. He knew who to run to in his moment of desperation, in his moment of thirst. He was thirsty. And I don't know about you, but I know me like in this season, I find myself experiencing certain desires and and certain things that, man, I didn't realize they mattered so much. I was so sad the other day. I was with my son. We were doing some schoolwork and as we're sitting down, we're reading this math problem and the math problem was something to the effect of, um, you know, some person was with three of his friends and he was going to eat a sandwich or a cookie. They were going to share a cookie and, you know, how many parts to the cookie were there? And as we read through the question and he was kind of getting frustrated, I mean, I was frustrated. I was like, what on earth is this question trying to say? But anyway, that's another thing. Pray for him as i am his homeschool dad but in the middle of that moment my son burst into tears and i was like papa what's wrong and he said i miss my friends you see my 6 year old son has an aching in his soul that's my first point this morning is that our souls are aching to be satisfied our souls are aching to be satisfied You see, my six-year-old, he knows how to be rambunctious. He knows how to cry in those moments. For me, I'm just El Groucho. I mean, you can ask anyone in my family, they will tell you at this moment, I'm just grouchy. I don't know. And it's not because anything has changed other than the fact that we're isolated and we can't go out and, and, and my schedule is disrupted. And so here's what I realize: What I realize is this, is that in this moment, you know what you're finding out? You know what I'm finding out? I'm finding out and you're finding out what really satisfies our soul? What is it that makes us ache inside? And I want you to know, God wants to be the one who satisfies your soul. We are coming face to face with that aching in our soul. And here is why the resurrection of Jesus matters so much in this moment, because Jesus rose again. Now listen to this. He is alive. Jesus is alive. Think about that. Jesus is alive. And because he's he's alive, check it out. Just like David knew he could go to the living God and his soul could be satisfied, you and I have the same reality. You and I can come to the living Savior and our souls can be satisfied. See, the beauty of this is that because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we know that we have an invitation to come in to the presence of of God. And in the presence of God, we have the promise from God to have what? Refreshing for our soul. See, here's the thing I realize: in him, we have refreshing in him. We have rest in him. We have refuge. That is why the resurrection matters. And so no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, no matter what is happening in this exact moment in your life, in your home, in your family, guess what? You have a living savior. And that savior welcomes you in. And he says, son, come to me, daughter, come to me. And now if you're watching right now and you are not a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear him calling you saying, come to me. I rose again. I died in your place. So that way you could have life, even in this moment where things seem some kind of way, you can have life. Will you turn to him today? Will you turn to him today? The second thing I'd ask you to think about this morning is Jesus satisfied the justice of God's wrath. Jesus satisfied the justice of God's wrath. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn there really quickly to the book of Romans chapter four, verse 23 to verse 25. And I'm going to get into that verse in a moment, but I want to tell you, there is a term, it's a theological term, and it is a very, very important term. But it, it's, it's a big word, but this, this big word has huge significance. And what this word is, it is the word atonement. And this word atonement comes from the Old Testament, and it moves us through into the New Testament, where in the Old Testament, they used to use animals to atone for their sins. They would kill the animal, sacrifice the animal, um, cast the blood on the altar, and that atoned for the sin. It made a remedy for the sin. It satisfied for the moment their sin debt that they had. And so this word atonement, I like the way that um one some person, I don't know who did this, but I think it's pretty cool. You can break the word up to understand what atonement means because it means this, at one meant. God meant to be one with his creation. That's a beautiful thing. God meant to be one with his creation. He wants to be one with you and I, but something had to happen. Because God is holy and we are not holy because we are sinful by nature, by our desires, we do things that dishonor God. God had to do something to intervene and bring us back into a relationship with him. And so what he did is he came in the form of a man named Jesus Christ and died in our place, but he rose again in theological terms, this is called penal substitution. I know I'm giving you a bunch of big words. Hey, it's Easter Sunday, right? It's the resurrection day that we celebrate. So I'm going to throw some big words out there. You can, you know, talk to your friends and tell them about penal substitution. Do you know what that is? And maybe they'll know. I don't know. But here's the thing. The beauty of this is that penal substitution is meaning a penalty. Somebody was the one who paid the price for your debt your sin debt and so basically what this atonement means is it means that jesus satisfied the debt penalty of our sins romans six twenty three says something this is really important it says the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus Now, when you look at that word wages, right, the wages of sin, that means the payment of sin or the reward of sin. The only thing is that while it is a positive word, meaning something that you earn or something that you gain, here's the thing you got to realize is that it's, it has a negative connotation because you're not gaining something positive, but the earning, the payment of our sin is death. And that death is spiritual. That death is physical. And that death is eternal. Think about that. The wages of sin, what our sins earn us, what our disrespect and dishonor of God does is, is, is it, it disrespects, it dishonors God. And so the problem is this, that the issue for us, right, <laughs> is that we owe a huge debt because we're earning that debt over and over and over again. Every time we sin against God, we are earning that debt. And so here we are. Today, as we, as we stand and we celebrate in this resurrection day, what we have is we have an understanding that this debt is there. But the beauty is that Jesus rose again. He died in our place. He paid our sin debt. So now we can do what? We can glorify him. And so I want you to look at the scripture here that we talked about, Romans chapter four, verse 23 to verse 25. And it says this. It says, now it was, now it was written, Verse 23, now it was written for his sake alone. It was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for him. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead. Now listen, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. He was raised for our justification. I want you to know that as important as the atonement is, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, you and I were without hope. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you and I are without hope, meaning that we can say all the prayers we wanna pray, we can sing all the songs we wanna sing, we can do all the religious activities we wanna do, and guess what? We are hopeless if Jesus doesn't rise. But when Paul is writing this scripture here, if you go back, and I encourage you to do this, go back and read Romans chapter four in its entirety. And you will see the apostle Paul is communicating there about the justification that we have by faith. There goes another big word that we can stand right before God. That God cleans the slate when we put our faith in Jesus. That God cleanses us and he makes us right before him. That's what justification is. And so the scripture says that that Abraham was justified by faith. He was declared righteous. And so what God does when you and I put our faith in him is this, is he declares us righteous. He declares us sons. He declares us daughters. He declares us his Children, that's awesome. And he says we're righteous. But here's the thing. God can say whatever he wants to say. However, if he doesn't demonstrate his power, how are we to trust him? See, that's where the resurrection comes in. Because what Paul writes here is that Jesus was offered up. He was delivered up because of our offenses. However, he was raised because or for our justification. He was raised for our justification so that way we could experience the justification that comes from God and from God alone. And so this morning, as we think about this, Jesus conquered the greatest enemy of all, and that is death. No one. Listen, I don't care what kind of vaccines they come up with. I don't care what kind of cures they come up with. They can cure coronavirus. I pray they come up with a cure for AIDS. I pray they come up with a cure for cancer. I pray they come up with a cure for every single thing. But my friends, the one thing that they will never be able to cure is the fact that every one of us is going to die. Every single one of us is going to die. We are not going to live physically forever. But the beauty of the resurrection is that while we will die in this physical body, the beauty of the resurrection is that we will live eternally with God Almighty if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is our eternal hope, is that Jesus Christ rose again, is that Jesus Christ has new life. He is the resurrection. He is the life. The third thing I want you to think about this morning is that satisfaction is only found in our surrender. Satisfaction is only found in our surrender. As I said earlier, our souls are aching to be satisfied. Our souls are longing for satisfaction. Our souls are desiring to be satisfied. The reality is this, and, th- and this is the sad, sad truth. The sad truth is that many people will die in their sins. I had a conversation the other day with someone. It was a, it was, it was really brief. It was actually uh, via an instant message and someone was just sharing the saddest story of a family that their child is sick with the coronavirus and they're going through something and the person prayed for them and the the parent corrected them and said, yeah, you know, we don't believe in that Jesus stuff. And that's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see so many people rejecting the savior who died for them, the savior who shed blood for them. They're unwilling to surrender. And when you're unwilling to surrender, you will never experience the satisfaction that there is in Jesus Christ. One more scripture I want to ask you to turn to this morning, and it's one that I think is so important because it is one of the realest, one of the rawest um, encounters that someone has with Jesus, and that's the gospel of John chapter 20, verse 24 to verse 29, And as you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of context here. Jesus has already died. Jesus has already resurrected. And Jesus is now making his way, uh, or he is actually uh, already resurrected, and he is with his disciples. Just prior to this, what we're going to read now, he reveals himself to 11 of his, or 10 of his disciples, because obviously Judas Iscariot was not there. But to 11, to 10 of the 11, he reveals himself. But one of them was missing, and it was the one by the name of Thomas. And while Thomas wasn't there, Thomas, Thomas came in later on, and when he comes in, the other disciples say, Thomas, <clears throat> we have seen the Lord. Thomas, we've seen, we, Jesus is alive. And Thomas says these things, and let's catch the story here. Now, Thomas the twin in verse 24, if you have your Bibles there. Now, Thomas called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, catch this, unless, unless I see in his hands the prince of the nails and put my finger onto the prince of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Unless. So I want you to understand Thomas a little bit. Thomas was one of the twins, called one of the sons of thunder at one point in the scriptures, because he was so committed. He was so radical. He was so bold. As a matter of fact, at one point when Jesus knew that he was about to die, when he was going to go to the, to the cross in this, in this one, this one moment or not to the cross, but he was going to go to Jerusalem. He knew that he was, he was He was um, on the, on the target, so to speak for the religious elite. And he knew that his death was imminent And all the other disciples were were like thinking about, well, maybe we shouldn't go. And you know what Thomas said when Jesus was was getting ready to go? He said, let's go with him. If we die with him, we die with him. And so I want you to understand Thomas because when we think about this story, we may think, man, Thomas was was a doubter. Like, that's how we know him, doubting Thomas, right? However, Thomas was a guy that was the type that was an all-in type of dude. However, when he witnessed the crucifixion, When he witnessed the burial, when he witnessed Jesus not being able to get out of the situation that he found himself in, that suddenly created an unless in Thomas's heart. From a place of ferocious faith, total surrender, full on, I believe everything that God says from that place to a place where now he has this unless that is going on in him. Can I ask you a question? Do you have an unless? Do you have an unless God does, I will not unless God does, I won't see many of us have this unless that is going on inside of us. We may not admit it, but many of us have this that is that is aching in our hearts that we think sometimes it's our unless sounds like this. Well, God, I'll come to you if you will do. It doesn't sound as bad as unless, but it's the same thing in heart. It was like me when I was 17 years old laying in a a detention center and I prayed a prayer and I was like, God, you know, if you get me out of here, I'll serve you. If you get me out of here, I'll obey you. If you get me out of here, I'll never do drugs again. And listen, for those of you that know me, you know the end of that story. The end of that story was the first thing I did when I got out after getting a haircut was every other thing I said I wasn't going to do. I wasn't sincere. I wasn't real. I wasn't coming to God with total surrender and total yieldedness. But I want you to continue to read the story with me. So let's pick it up in verse 26. Verse 26, it says this. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors, were, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord, my God, my Lord, my God. Thomas had his prayer answered that he would be able to look at and put his fingers in the scars of Jesus. And then he declares as he did before, you are my Lord, I surrender to you and you are my God. But look what Jesus replies to him and says in verse 29, he said, Jesus said to him, Thomas, Because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. See, our unless holds us back. See, many of us have that unless, but what does it hold us back from? It holds us back from believing And surrendering our lives to Christ, which leaves us with an aching in our souls, seeking satisfaction, but never finding it. I love this quote. My friend Scott, I told him I would give him credit for this. We were sitting around our our table at Forge right before everything shut down. And as we were having a conversation, we were talking and somehow the topic of pain meds came up. And here's what he said about pain medication. He just had knee replacement surgery, by the way, and he's not a guy that likes to take pills or anything like that. And he said this, he said, they don't kill the pain, they numb the brain. They don't kill the pain, they numb the brain. Think about that. That is, that, that is how the enemy wants us. The enemy wants our minds to be numb to life. He wants our minds to be so consumed by other things and, and, and our lives to be so overwhelmed by other things that we have, that, that we've forgotten. Man, that there's an aching going on and there is only one who can solve the problem and that's Jesus Christ himself. It is only Christ who can not numb our brains, but take away the pain. Why? Because he suffered on the cross for us. The question is, is your unless holding you back from trusting him today? Is your unless, which is an excuse, which is a reason. Why? When I say an excuse, it may be something that's valid. You could have been hurt. You could have been rejected. You could have experienced something that was terrible in your life. And so my question is this. Is that holding you back from believing? See, sometimes we look at stuff that's going on in this world. We look at things that are happening in this nation. We look at stuff, and, and I read the Hulk Hogan quote. I won't read it again, but we look at the financial situations. We look at people. I mean, I'm saddened. people are losing their jobs right now. People are in isolation. I mean, people are getting sick. I, I, had, I had a sister say they lost three family members to this, have other people that I love and that I know that are going through. I mean, this is a rough time. And in these moments, we can, and and and, and listen, I think you, you would be foolish if you never had a question like, man, God, where are you at? But after you ask the question, do you come back to the reality that God is still sitting on his throne? Do you come back to the reality that God is still in, in, on the throne, that he is still sovereign, that he's still loving, that he's still good, that he's still gracious, that he's still kind, that Jesus is still alive? You know what? Here's the thing. Nobody wants to suffer. That's the problem. And when we start suffering in this world, it creates all kinds of doubts, all kinds of confusion. As long as life is good, God is good. But when life gets bad, is God still good? Is God still worthy of total surrender? Because the truth is, unless you surrender to him, you will never find the satisfaction that God wants to give you. See, our satisfaction, understand this, it comes before our breakthrough. Our satisfaction comes before our prayer is answered. Our satisfaction comes before the economy opens back up. Our satisfaction has to come before the cure or the vaccine or the antivirus is created for the coronavirus. Listen, our satisfaction has to come before that. And you know, when it comes, our satisfaction comes the moment we totally surrender to him and we believe even before we've seen those things. See, that's what he told Thomas. He said, Thomas, blessed. And I love that word blessed because that word blessed is a huge word. Happy is he. Fulfilled is he. Satisfied is he who believes even if he hasn't seen. So my question for you this morning is this, is do you still believe? Do you still believe? See, because what I realized that the enemy is still trying to silence the gospel. See, what I realize is this, is that the the facts are that Jesus really lived. Historical fact is that Jesus lived. Historical fact and listen, you can go and ask your atheist friends who will actually go and study this stuff Here's the here's historical fact historical fact is that jesus did live Historical fact is that the tomb was empty and listen, you can draw whatever conclusions you want You can embrace the lies that the enemy tries to bring out there. There's all kinds of lies I won't go through all of them You can check out last year's sermon and you'll see all the different lies and things like that But here is the reality That's last year's Easter Resurrection Sunday sermon. But here's the reality. The reality is Jesus really existed. The historical reality is that Jesus, that the tomb of Jesus Christ was empty. The reality is this, is that people's lives are still being changed today by this gospel message. And guess what? The enemy is still trying to silence the message of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Again, my question is, do you believe? Do you believe the gospel? That's what the scripture says, that we have to believe. If we will believe, if we will confess, but belief is not just some mental assent saying, oh yes, I believe. No, no, no. Do you believe like total belief, full belief, complete belief? That's what it means to believe. Listen, if you don't believe today, I call you to do the search, do the research get to know the truth of who God is so you can believe. If you're sitting there, if you're listening, I I, I admonish you, if you feel that something in your heart, Man, you could type in there on YouTube or you can type in there on Facebook. I believe if you believe today, if today you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, today cry out to him right where you are. Cry out to him, God, I believe Jesus. You came, you live, you died, you rose again. I believe I want to be saved. Let that be what comes out of your heart today that you would say, God, I believe and that this 2020 would be the year that you see clearer than ever before. No matter what's going on around you, it is a glorious thing to be able to trust Jesus, even in the midst of crazy times like this. Listen, if you pray that prayer, if you pray a prayer unto God, you cry out to him today, please, I ask you, inbox us, email me. You can email me at bishop at corefaithchurch.org and let me know about your commitment to Christ. Send me a personal private message. Let me know. I want to pray for you and I want to resource you so you can keep growing in your faith. And here's my closing question for everybody on here. And it is this, is your soul satisfied? Is your soul satisfied? Listen, satisfaction only comes from the Savior. The world is rejecting the Savior. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope today that you say, yes, my soul is satisfied. And you might be like me where you, you know Jesus, but your soul is struggling with satisfaction in this moment because you don't have certain outlets. And listen, this is a beautiful moment for you to repent, for you to humble yourself before God. But you may also be on this thing and you're like, man, my soul is not satisfied. I'm empty. I'm like David was in the beginning in a dry and thirsty land. I need God, my Savior. Listen, if that's you today, I encourage you. I encourage you, call upon the name of the Lord. I encourage you, call upon God Almighty. Ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you. Father God, right now in the name of Jesus, I come before you and I pray For every person that has heard this message, Lord, that you would fill them where they are. Father, whatever they're going through, whatever they are facing in their lives, Lord God, if they're a believer and they're struggling with the satisfaction in their soul, God, draw them to you. God, draw their hearts to you. Father God, if they are a non-believer, today I pray that they would believe, that they would cry out in belief for who you are. Father, I pray that today, that lives would be changed eternally. And I believe this in Jesus' name. Hey, like I said earlier, if if you cried out to God today, send me a message. If you have more questions, listen, we all have questions. If you have more questions, send me a message. I want to respond to you. I promise you, you send me a message either in an IM or you send me a message to bishop at corefaithchurch.org and I will get back to you and I will engage you in conversation to help you grow in your faith or answer any questions that you may have. Just know that we're praying for you and we pray that today, though it's different, it'd be the best resurrection day you've experienced. God bless you.